voices, things we do not speak of. It is a podcast about what can happen when you go out looking for monsters and actually find them. It contains adult and forbidden language, disturbing themes, and potentially dangerous speculations about reality. We take no responsibility for any injury, cognitive disturbance, poltergeist activity, or supernatural attachment that might result from listening to this program or attempting any of the actions discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Make sure you want to know before you find out. So, what do you picture in your mind when I say the word Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, whatever the name, I feel like you know the guy I mean. I feel like it's a a saturated concept, the, the devil, and when I say those words out loud to you, I feel like an image will come immediately to your mind, maybe more than one. Our pop culture and our advertising designers sure love the devil. We've got him on everything from fireworks to canned ham, mostly in the form of a smiling little red cartoon imp brandishing a pitchfork, but you know he wouldn't do anything with it but poke you and giggle. We also have iconic movie bad guys like Tim Curry in Legend, like a towering red beast with enormous horns who looks like he'd for sure do more than poke you with them. We even have suave and sexy Satan who looks like an idealized version of whatever flavor human you're most attracted to. And you know they're really just a a person of culture and taste who's misunderstood and worthy of your sympathy. Maybe when you hear Satan, you think about Zechariah 5.3, the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth, what the book of John calls the liar and father of all lies, come to steal and kill and destroy, a force of pure evil that exists just to degrade and punish humanity. A big factor in how you imagine the devil is how, where, and when you grew up. If you grew up in the 1980s in America, and most especially in the southern United States, you probably got to witness firsthand something called the Satanic Panic. Rock music, science fiction, role-playing games, and horror movies were blamed for turning the souls of the children over to Satan himself emboldening old Scratch to get up to all kinds of horrifying mischief, the likes of which hadn't been seen since the Salem Witch Trials. Talk shows and talk radio exploded with reports of bizarre cults, ritual murders, and general mayhem done in the name of the devil. Rock stars were accused of hiding satanic messages in their albums that could only be deciphered when it was played backwards. Movies and TV shows and toys and books were all accused of manipulating impressionable young people over to the dark side. Geraldo even did a whole hour-long special about it. It was creepy. Little kid me had some questions and concerns. My family was not particularly religious. We never went to church except if somebody was getting married or buried. I knew the Jesus high notes of Christmas and Easter, but the only time anybody in my house mentioned the devil was to call rain while the sun is shining, the devil beating his wife. Certainly I was never threatened with hellfire and damnation or saw the devil blamed for family disagreements and misfortunes. Many of my classmates' families, though, they seemed to take the devil real seriously. 
In elementary school, one of my best friends would regularly come to school in a state of vibrating anxiety that made it near impossible for him to concentrate on his schoolwork or even eat his lunch because his father, a minister, had told him that he was a sinner and that the devil was going to come for him and drag him off to hell. Because his dad and many other adults, it seemed like, were sure that the devil was real and he was everywhere and he was just looking for an excuse to drag you to hell. A real physical location, the bad place, in the center of the earth. And if you do naughty things, you'll go there to the burning wasteland and get buggered by demons in the lake of fire for all eternity. And you just know there's not a single tossed salad or Mountain Dew slushy to be had for solace in the whole miserable place. I couldn't help but wonder what transgressions could an elementary school kid possibly commit that would damn him to such a terrible fate. Not taking out the trash? Skid marks in his underoos? I was intrigued and a little concerned that actual adults seemed to think that hell existed and the devil existed and he was the scariest, most awful thing you could imagine. And he was constantly just lurking around, hoping to trick you off the narrow path of righteousness so that he could take your immortal soul because he was collecting souls for reasons. Southern Baptists and Evangelicals and Pentecostals and Apostolics and Charismatics, a large percentage of my community growing up clung to that belief, a belief that for whole huge swaths of human history, people have been willing to kill over. Allegedly, there was even a satanic cult active in my hometown. We don't have a Dairy Queen, but we've got a satanic cult. They were blamed for stealing pets and setting fires and mutilating livestock and vandalizing churches. There were even whispers that they might kidnap children to use as blood sacrifices. Word would come down the PTA phone tree that so-and-so had heard from Carolyn down at the Winn-Dixie that devil worshippers had been spotted in the county, cruising around in a white van looking for kids to snatch, and maybe they'd keep little Ashley and Travis home from school tomorrow just to be safe. Wouldn't want him to end up decapitated like that poor little boy in Florida, you know. I never got to skip school on account of roving devil worshippers. When I questioned my dad, he assured me that Satan was no more real than UFOs and Bigfoot. But did it matter whether he was real or not? If crazy people snatched you up and cut your head off to please him? My dad was the fire chief in our hometown, and he was in a position to have information Carolyn at Windix he was not privy to. And according to him, there was absolutely no cult. That was all a bunch of bullshit. A panther killed Hutchinson's cow. The fires were just regular fires, and the satanic graffiti sprayed on overpasses and churches was just dumbass teenagers trying to be rebellious. By junior high, I kind of saw where they were coming from with that. In rural North Carolina in the 90s, Satan was a euphemism for anything that indicated independent thought and anything that didn't conform to a narrow set of social norms. Not just heavy metal and Dungeons and Dragons, but boys wearing eyeliner and wanting to kiss other boys, and girls wearing pants and wanting to be anything other than biscuit-bacon baby factories. I often these days see t-shirts and stickers with the slogan, we are the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn. And while I adore the sentiment, it also makes me roll my eyes some. Becky, your grandma thought new kids on the block and Ninja Turtles were satanic. 
She would have been standing with the crowd around the pyre in her best church hat, holding a torch and waiting for the signal to toss it. They only burned up print CDs and copies of R.L. Stein books because burning people had become a no-no. Give the devil all the cool shit and then be shocked that the young people pick him over the cosmic busybody who peeks in windows and counts every time you pop a boner and is really stressed about what you're thinking about when it happens. I got branded devil worshiper early on, even though I never professed myself to be any such thing. I was awkward and I had a visible deformity and I was interested in weird shit and that was enough. 200 years earlier, I'd have probably been toast. Instead, my classmates determined that they would save my soul by doing what I guess they reckoned Jesus would have done, hocking loogies in my hair on the bus and tripping me in the halls and constantly condescendingly offering to lay hands on me and pray for me. I saw so many of my friends victimized in one way or another by religious nonsense that I was way more wary of the alleged followers of Christ than I ever was any hokey imaginary devil. Satan was about as scary to me as the Kool-Aid man. The first Europeans who came to this continent, though, they took the devil real seriously, more seriously than even the most rabid holiness minister or prudish grandma of our modern age. They brought the devil and the tendency to ascribe all human ills and misfortunes to him with them when they landed on these shores. Back home in Europe, people were still being burned for heresy and witchcraft, the devil was a constant fear in the lives of every man, woman, and child. There was not really an option for missing church. Religious purity was the only defense against constant malignant attacks from the ever-present enemy. They were mostly ignorant of what the actual causes of disaster and disease were. So everything from spoiled milk to earthquakes to miscarriages was blamed on Satan or on his minions who were legion. Anything uncanny was automatically the devil. Ditto any religion other than Christianity. In the minds of religious leader and layman alike, while the original inhabitants of this land might think that they were worshipping their own ancestral deities, they were actually worshipping the devil. So, did indigenous people actually even believe in the devil? In the sense of a fallen angel who's locked in an eternal soul-collecting contest with God and who's constantly swaying bitches over to the dark side by tempting them with pretty dresses and butter? No. There is no evidence that any North American indigenous pantheon contained the concept of a devil that wasn't due to early contact with Spanish Catholic missionaries. In the sense, though, of a terrifying thing with horns, one that would and could fuck you up and eat you up? Well, they had a bunch of those. Mostly these were the protectors of the forests and the wilds, intermediaries between men and nature in the spirit world who enforced boundaries on hunting and fishing and would harshly punish those who didn't respect the balance. Cannibal giants like Judah Cullah of the Cherokee who could control thunder and lightning and who lived in a cave in the wilds of what is now Jackson County, North Carolina, a place colonists came to refer to as Devil's Courthouse. Not that the native people didn't have plenty of things that go bump in the night, because they certainly had no shortage of spirits and monsters and places of darkness where men was forbidden to even tread, much less try to set up a homestead. But the European tendency was to name those places as well as places that were simply sacred to the indigenous people after the devil. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of places in the United States 
with the word devil or Diablo in the name. A quick Google search will likely reveal to you that there are multiple spots with devil names near where you live. Perhaps it's that there's a feature of the place that looks like a scary face. Perhaps it was a place native people gathered to celebrate seasonal rituals. Or perhaps it's something else. Fordian researchers such as John Keel, Lauren Coleman, and Jim Brandon have documented consistent instances of high strangeness at so-called devil places. Here in North Carolina, we have more than our share. There's Devil's Courthouse, which we have already discussed, to the Cherokee, the craggy face-like rock, and its embedded cave were where Judicola held rockin' parties with denizens of the spirit world and hot human chicks. To the colonists, it was a vast empty ballroom where Satan sat to brood alone and plot against humanity because apparently he's got nothing better to do, bless his heart. Not all of North Carolina's devil spots are that old or are named after the devil because he supposedly lingers there. We have Seven Devils, which is a resort town named Seven Devils because its founders were seven dudes and they were following their dream of opening a resort town and they thought Seven Devils sounded cool and I, I salute them. We have Kill Devil Hills on the coast near where the Wright brothers launched their first airplane. It was named Kill Devil Hills because a ship wrecked on the shoals, apparently carrying some rum that was so nasty it could kill the devil. North Carolina's got a complicated relationship with the devil, it seems like. For all of our church on every corner, our competitive college sports scene boasts both blue devils and demon deacons. A house divided indeed. Meanwhile, our folklore is saturated, not just with places named after old Splitfoot, but with stories of regular folks meeting him in the flesh. We have Devil's Rock, where a wily sinner tricked Beelzebub, who had come to drag him off to the bad place, into stepping on a bunch of tacks. These shenanigans caused the eldritch horror such agony that he leapt into the air with enough force that his left foot was imprinted forever into the stone. His right footprint, the legend says, is across the border in South Carolina. The devil has a wide stance. High up on Bluff Mountain in Ashe County, a farmer looking for his lost calf ran into the beast himself in the heavy fog on the mountaintop. The devil stared the poor man straight in the eyes and told him that if he told a single soul about what he had seen, he would die in three days. The farmer ran home in terror. Whether he felt such a cold chill run through him that he thought he pissed himself, I can't say, but one can only imagine. His encounter turned his hair pure white, and like a fool he told his wife about it, and sure enough, three days later, he was found dead in his field under mysterious circumstances. Poor soul. We have the devil's hoofprints in Bath, allegedly marking the spot where a prideful young gambler was struck down after challenging the devil to a horse race on a Sunday. And we have devil's stairs, where dynamiting to make way for the fabulously named Virginia Creeper Railroad resulted in a strangely staircase-shaped rock formation and the tragedy of a worker dying in the demolition process and a small child being struck and killed by the train soon after apparently created an uncanny vortex of paranormal activity, including phantom hitchhikers and unwanted pursuit by dark forms that can materialize themselves inside your car. Not far from this is the beautiful mountain hamlet of Valley Crucis, which is home to the St. John's Episcopal Church. 
If you drive past this picturesque old stone structure at night, a hellhound, black as night, with eyes that shine like fire, will rise up out of the tombs of its graveyard and chase you. Why is he there? Where'd he come from? Only the devil knows. We have a devil's hole, and a devil's gap, and a devil's triangle. And my little podunk town wasn't the only one that had whispers of a cult. The twisting back roads and kudzu draped vacant lots of North Carolina, according to rumor at least, housed a legion of minions of the dark doing strange rituals, sacrificing animals and humans if they could get their hands on one that had strayed too far from the light. There are murders in this state that are whispered to be tied to a secret satanic cult. There are weird sights supposedly associated with this cult. People say they see people creeping around the back roads in black robes or sometimes even dressed like clowns. Back roads like notorious and difficult to find Goat Farm Road, which according to unfounded salacious rumors spread by probably that bitch Carolyn down at the Winn-Dixie, was the site of a, either a gruesome vigilante murder or a cult that sacrifices animals or who knows what kinds of horrifying transgressions. I visited Goat Farm Road on day three of my hectic road trip straight into the jaws of chaos. We saw no evidence of any cult, but we did see a huge set of tracks along the side of the road, deep in the mud like whatever made them was really heavy. They looked like dog tracks, but they were huge, like as big as my hand. I had gotten out of the van to photograph the tracks while the others went to take pictures of the road sign. I was exhausted. I was on no sleep. I had been doing the lion's share of the driving, and I was trying to photograph my hand for scale next to the track when I heard the banshee screech. I turned. The figure was coming towards me, slogging through this tall grass. Long black dress, scraggly white hair, dark pits of eyes. Her arms were up. Her claw-like hands were reaching out. I was pretty sure I'd already seen one monster on this trip, and the figure lurching towards me made me think that it might be about to be a twofer. And then she got closer, and I realized she was just a regular old lady. She maybe seemed like she had some dementia. She had seen my long hair and my arms with tattoos on them, and she had mistaken me for her strange granddaughter. Her teary-eyed disappointment when she realized I was just a stranger kind of slayed me. If your Nana lives on Goat Farm Road, you know what your real name is. Get your shit together and go visit her. I helped the poor old thing back to her porch and I asked her, did anybody around there have like a big dog, like maybe a St. Bernard or Great Dane or something? And she said, he don't belong to nobody, honey. He just walks. And I said, what are you talking about, ma'am? Who, who walks? And she said, the beast. That was what our book was going to be about, you see, if you've not already used your context clues to figure that out on your own. The devil, the beast, the devil in North Carolina. Sometimes reality gives you truth that's stranger than fiction. We all know that no discussion of the devil in North Carolina would be complete without discussing the devil's tramping ground. Outside of Siler City, North Carolina, in the tiny rural hamlet of Bear Creek, nestled in the woods, lies a 40-foot circle where nothing will grow. 
Stories about the place date back to the earliest European inhabitants, with some evidence that the mysterious barren patch and its reputation for being a cursed place that should be avoided predate colonization. To the natives, it was rumored to be the site of a ferocious battle between tribes that left the earth poisoned by spilled blood. Or, perhaps, it was the burial site of a great chieftain named Croatoan. To the Europeans, of course, it was the devil. The circle was the place where the devil would pace round and round, night after night, plotting evil against humanity. His burning hooves and aura of pure wretchedness made the ground infertile. Legend says that anything left in the spot overnight will be moved out of the circle before morning. Multiple people over the years have claimed to have tried to spend the night camped in the middle of the circle, only to wake up in the morning with their tents moved out into the woods. There are even legends that claim that those brave or stupid enough to try to spend the night inside the devil's tramping ground would be driven insane by the horrors that they might witness coming face to face with the Prince of Darkness. Many have tried over the years to explain this mysterious void, but so far we still do not know what causes the devil's tramping ground to be. Some have theorized that it's the site of an old grain mill and that it was the constant walking in a circle of mules turning the grinding wheel that created the barren circle. But there were hundreds of such mules all over the south and not another one of them displays such strange characteristics. Some have claimed that it was a sacred gathering spot for tribes and that their bonfires and dancing feet compressed the earth so much that even after all these years, no vegetation will grow. But, again, there are thousands of such ceremonial sites all over the country, and no others are barren like the tramping ground. It is not a salt lick, Wikipedia. There are some salt licks down east, but they don't look anything like that and several real-ass scientists have determined that the site is inconsistent with the salt lick. In fact, in 2015, a soil scientist from a university in the Triangle did a test on soil from inside the circle, and they discovered that, due to the continual lighting of bonfires by curious campers and partying teenagers, the soil inside the circle is actually more fertile than the soil in the surrounding woods. And yet, it remains. So bald it needs a lace front from Tay, and no human knows why. I've got some strong suspicions, though. In addition to its mysteriously barren but fertile soil, the tramping ground displays magnetic anomalies that can cause a compass to behave strangely. It's been documented by quite a few people. I've seen it happen, both on video and with my own eyes. If you carry a compass with you and you go out there, you're likely to see it, too. It's the kind of anomaly usually seen in soil with a super high iron content, except the devil's tramping ground soil does not contain an excess of iron. Mysteries on top of mysteries. I expected it to be disappointing the first time I went there. Despite having lived within three hours of the place my whole misbegotten paranormal life, I had not ever visited the devil's tramping ground until I showed up there in August of 2015, ready to photograph every inch of it for the book. I'd heard from friends who went to college in the Triangle area that it was just a glorified party spot, that it was covered in trash, that there was nothing supernatural there. We brought trash bags with us, and we cleaned up a good quantity of trash because we wanted to get good clean shots. Let me tell you this. If you go out into the wild places, especially if you do so looking for monsters, 
Take a trash bag with you. Pick up the trash when you find it. Leave the place better than you found it. Trust me on this. And if you litter, I can't help you. And it was just a big, bare patch in the woods littered with trash and hacked up trees. The whole middle of the circle was black with spent fire remnants. There were pentagrams and 666 and other satanic nonsense spray-painted on the trees, as expected. We got there in the daylight. A bunch of goofy-looking frat boys were leaving as we pulled up. There's a gate that you have to duck to the side of, and technically, you're trespassing on private property. So if you go out there, don't be acting like an asshole and fucking it up for the rest of us. Because as trashed and disappointing as I had expected it to be, I felt the moment that I first stepped past that gate that something was there. Something maybe not to be fucked with. We walked all around to get our bearings and we did see the compass anomaly that others had experienced. It happened both with a cheap plastic compass and a military one. It was really cool to see it. Also, the area where the compass seemed to jump felt weird. If you've ever been outside around a radio tower, especially after like a thunderstorm, kind of like that, a hum kind of that vibrates your chest and your teeth, you can almost taste it. I wondered if there was some kind of machinery running under there, maybe like some kind of a pipe or a pump just in that one spot. You could just walk into and out of it. It was like one of those patches of colder water you swim into in a lake sometimes, except instead of cold, it was this odd feeling, almost anxiety. It was very peculiar. We almost had heat stroke unloading the van. It was oppressively hot and humid. We set up shop right in the middle of the circle. We wanted to stay there, if not till dawn, then at least until midnight, which is when most of the legends say the devil comes down the path with his stomping shoes on. Even with the odd compass behavior, we were really just doing it to say we had done it. Nobody actually expected to see the devil. As night fell, though, the place was undeniably creepy. Maybe it was just an optical illusion caused by the circle surrounded by trees, but something about sitting in the middle of the circle made you feel like you were sitting in the middle of a snow globe. I have taken many others back out to the Devil's Tramping Ground in the years since that first night, and many of them have experienced that same sensation right down to using the same phrasing, even though I have never described the sensation to anyone or suggested it to anyone because I did not want to contaminate the experience and the experiment of taking people out there to see what they felt, like being in the center of a swirling black snow globe. I turned at one point to my companion and said, this place is fucking weird. And they agreed, yes, very weird. But we didn't have any idea yet exactly how much weirder things were about to get. I've got to leave this story here, though, for now, with myself in the center of the devil's tramping ground for the first time ever. The beginning of a long road. We're going to pick it up next time with what I actually saw there. Spoiler alert, it was not the devil. I don't think so. Anyway, it was something else. Something that we're going to call out by its forbidden names. Something I know some of you guys listening maybe have seen and experienced for yourselves. Something in the woods. Hell, something in the suburbs. Next time we're going to talk about what it is and what it's not. 
If listening to this podcast has made you want to run out and visit the Devil's Tramping Ground for spooky season, be respectful out there. There are things out there that you don't want to fuck with. If you do go out there and experience something, or if you've experienced strange activity visiting the Devil's Tramping Ground in the past, or if you just need to get something spooky off your chest, I want to hear about it. I hope if you've got a story to tell me, you'll email it to me at know at gmail.com. That's row, R-O, wants to know at gmail.com. If you're enjoying this content, please consider subscribing and leaving a rating or review as it helps me grow and reach more people who might need to hear this or who might have information about this phenomenon. I appreciate your time. And until next time, be careful out there, but keep asking questions.